This is Alan Conlon with the Becker's ASC podcast, and I'm thrilled to be joined today by Dr. Bertrand Capper, Chair of Orthopedics from the Department of Surgery at Honor Health Thompson Peak in Scottsdale, Arizona. So Dr. Capper, before we dive into our discussion today, I'd love to turn the floor over to you to hear a little bit about your role, obviously your background, and of course, uh, what's going on at Honor Health. Yeah, certainly, Alan. Thank you uh, for that. Uh, so by way of introduction, uh, my name is Bertrand Copper. I'm a uh, board-certified orthopedic surgeon, as mentioned out here in Scottsdale, Arizona, uh, actually a native of the Chicago area. I went to the University of Chicago and uh, Northwestern Medical School, did my orthopedic training at Dartmouth, and then did a uh, adult reconstructive total joint fellowship uh, north of the border in London, Ontario, at the uh, University of Western Ontario. Uh, so, as Alan mentioned, I uh, currently serve as uh, chairman of the Department of Orthopedics at uh, our hospital, which is the Scottsdale Thompson Peak Medical Center, part of the Honor Health Hospital System here in Scottsdale. And in addition to that hat that I wear, I'm also the total joint program coordinator for our uh, hospital-affiliated Invertor Surgical Center, that is the North Valley Surgery Center, um, which... Uh, uh, it was just uh, given the distinction of uh, with uh, Triple HC uh, accreditation for our uh, total joint program. So, uh, yeah, that's uh, kind of what keeps me uh, busy and occupied these days. Yeah, fantastic. And thanks so much for that introduction. I'd love to dive a little deeper into that total joint program. But, but before we do, I'd love to open up the conversation and just kind of get your thoughts on uh, when you look across the healthcare field today, what are kind of the two or three most interesting or exciting trends that you're following? Oh boy, you know, there's uh, it, it's, it's such a dynamic landscape as I see it, and so the uh, you know the, the things that I pay attention to, I think most many of us do, are you know from a physician standpoint, you know where are we financially, economically, these the Medicare reimbursement, insurance companies, et cetera. What is our footing? Is it any more secure now than it? was previously or perhaps less secure. I think that's a, a huge concern and things that we need to be following, um, you know, uh, following and, and being an active part of the shift uh, from the, in the surgical world from inpatient surgeries to the outpatient centers uh, has been nothing short of, you know, kind of remarkable in the last 10 plus years. Uh, and that's certainly uh, only a trend that we're going to continue, uh, continue seeing as we move forward. And then perhaps the, the third one that I'm most excited about is, uh, you know, where technology is in our world and where, uh, where it's going to be, you know, not just uh, in the next year or two, but the next five to 10 years. Yeah. And when you look across the, the orthopedic field, is there any surgical technology that, that you're really looking at that you think is going to be a game changer maybe five, 10 years from now, whether that might be in the realm of uh, new implants, kind of robotics, augmented reality, what are you kind of looking at there? You know, it's an excellent question. I was at uh, one of our orthopedic meetings just earlier this month, and one of the most interesting uh, topics at uh, the President's Symposium was just at the topic of technology. And one of the talks brought up a very astute observation, I thought, that uh, robotics as a technology, that there has not been a business or field in business that has adopted robotics and that has moved away from robotics. So here we are in orthopedics. We probably have about 10 years of solid experience with robotics uh, in the arthroplasty world. Uh, and so robotics is in orthopedics. 
And based on the comment that I was just referencing, I, I think that's technology that's here to stay. And that's what's going to be driving how we do things from a technique standpoint uh, moving forward. As you mentioned, whether that's an augmented reality platform, whether that becomes a virtual reality platform, uh, the machine learning, uh, helping surgeons integrate lots of information in order to make better surgical decisions. Uh, you know, we're certainly doing that actively right now with token the arthroplasty, but it's something I think that's going to work its way into every facet of our surgical fields. Um, maybe not quite the, uh, the Star Wars R2-D2 C3PO, where we're just standing next to the robot and that they're doing all the work, but something to that effect is certainly what the future holds as I see it. Yeah, so, so certainly no fear of having a fully autonomous robot anytime soon, right? Well, you know, you, I think you have to trust but verify um, is how I, I would approach that, right? So we need to look at it from the standpoint of, you know, can they fully become fully autonomous? Because, you know, in the robotic world, you know, you have passive robots, which are just designed to hold an instrument or hold an object, active assisted, where surgeon and technology are integrated and working together. And then there's fully autonomous active robots, which is, you know, like, like I said, the Star Wars uh, analogy, if you will. Um, if we get to that point, I think there's going to have to be a lot of verification and a lot of checks and balances. So that will be the holy grail, uh, but we'll, we'll see if that comes around to, at some point in the future. Yeah, yeah, it's certainly exciting industry and very, very important to kind of keep an eye on. I'd love to, just one, one last follow-up question on, on the robotic world there. In terms of some of the surgeons that have, that have been speaking to recently, it seems like the, the total joint robots that are currently on the market are uh, a bit more developed, a bit more advanced maybe than those of the, of the spine surgical robots. Um, but I'm just wondering, in terms of the next, the next advancement, the next iteration of total joint robots, what would you like to see, um, you know, integrated into them? What would you like to see? How would you like to see them advance, I guess? Yeah, and I think that's also an excellent question. You know, robotics will become universally accepted, as I see it, when the technology allows us to execute our surgical plan and achieve our surgical goal ideally with less work on our part, doing it more efficiently uh, in a time-dependent uh, manner, as well as a work-related manner. Certainly in the total joint world, you know, we're doing physical work, but we're doing hip and knee and shoulder replacements and, and other procedures. Uh, with robotics, what we're wanting to see, and again, when universal adoption will come around, is when it's less time, less effort, better outcomes, as our patients tell us, right? And so that's where the patient reported outcomes are going to be very important moving forward in the future as far as understanding what the patients uh, are going to say about the end result that we've accomplished with robotic technology. As to your point, is it just a glorified version of computer navigation, which we've had for quite a while, that in the joint world hasn't really been shown to dramatically impact patient-reported outcome measures, but we're hoping that robotics, whether it's its current iteration or future iterations, will offer that positive benefit and decrease, you know, what's what's well known as a, as a certain percentage of dissatisfaction or, you know, the patients who aren't, uh, aren't out there as our cheerleaders, you know, saying, hey, this is a great operation. I'd recommend it to everybody. I'm really, uh, really interested to get your your thoughts there and your two cents. And certainly, 
an interesting, exciting part of the the orthopedic field. But I'd love to I'd love to come back a little bit to what you brought up at the, the beginning of, beginning of the conversation. Obviously, the total joint program uh, at the Honor Health AFC. I'd love to kind of can you share anything you're most proud of? How many how many cases are you performing a year there? And kind of what is the growth of that program looking like in the next two or three years? You know, so we we formally baptized the program, if you will, back in 2017. So we were ahead of the COVID curve. You know, obviously a lot of our colleagues and organizations, you know, were kind of in a sense forced into into that when COVID came around and, and we realized that the ASC was the setting where we could get back to work quicker and get surgeries done for our patients quicker. But we, we were on the, in that space a couple of years earlier. Uh, we partner with our hospital system that's on our health. Uh, it's run by a third-party management company, Sovereign. Um, and, but it's, so it's a 51, 49% split ownership. And in my, in my opinion, first of all, that's important because when you have that dynamic, both parties are actively invested and vested in the success of the organization. And then, then the management company and the surgeons run the show. So I think that's the typical layout for most ASCs and certainly our program dovetails into that. But what I'm most proud of is that, you know, we're growing exponentially every year. Um, so first year was perhaps, you know, 30 or 40 total joints. Now we're upwards of three to 400 joints a year. Uh, we're bringing in other surgeons, having them look at how we do things. We have protocols in place, and we're basically trying to make it in such a way where it's an easy button for the surgeon. Everything's in place. So that is to say we have engagement from the nursing staff. We have engagement from anesthesia. We have physical therapy engaged on site. We have the administrators committed to supporting the program, both personnel and financially. So if the new surgeon does come on board and wants a new instrument or a couple new instruments, we don't have to go begging and begging to the administrative folks to uh, to get finances to cover those expenses. It's budgeted. There's an expectation that new surgeons will need you know, have different demands for them what we what we might already have on hand. But everybody who comes in basically their patient gets plugged into the same protocol, and so it is as I was talking about with one of my patients yesterday a bit of an assembly line. But we've learned a long time ago that the assembly line production actually gives the best outcome as far as the results, whether it be in, in the car manufacturing world or in the surgical world, where we're doing things consistently and we have the engagement of all the right parties. And one of the things that, that our total joint coordinator, Alex, I really give her credit for is that she offered to all our nursing staff not just the OR staff who are already in the OR, but the pre-op and the post-op to come into the OR and watch what we do when we do a hip replacement or a robotic-assisted total knee replacement. So they actually got to see the surgical procedure, which many of them have never seen, and got to be actively engaged in. And so they could actually talk with personal experience, if you will, to the patient ahead of time or in the PACU knowing what that patient just underwent. And I think that's a very, very positive way to build the program, to buy, get the buy-in from the different parties, and then, you know, the success just kind of flows from there. Yeah, for, for any ASCs who might be a little bit late to the party per se, I'm just kind of looking to implement or establish a total joint, outpatient total joint program today. Do you have any other piece of advice or uh, kind of roadblocks they should be aware of when, when getting these programs off the ground, just in, in order to make sure that they're providing excellent outcomes right out of the gate, I guess? 
Yeah, excellent. You know, really good point, uh, Alan. So it, it's the you don't know what you don't know, and you need to ask a lot of questions. Uh, there are plenty enough centers in the country now that do this and do this successfully. Uh, site visits are extremely valuable. We have site visits organized through uh, my relationship with Smith and Nephew, where surgeons and or administrators can come on site and spend a day with us and see how we run things. Uh, that is invaluable in my experience uh, as far as gleaning expertise from others who have already forged down this path and will be able to help a, an administrator as well as a surgeon be successful and recognizing that in order to be most successful, you do have to have a physician champion. That's really what it comes down to. That's the physician, the surgeon who's willing to invest time, his or her time to you know, go to these meetings, to get things set up and not really try to promote the program from a marketing standpoint until the program is really ready to be rolled out and all the cogs are in the wheel and, and appropriately aligned, so to speak, then that's how they're going to start off strong as opposed to start off and then hit some bumps in the road and then people have doubts uh, as to whether this can be successful in their circumstances. So those are the variables that I think really, you know, you need to ask lots of questions, tap into the expertise of programs, surgeons, administrators, uh, total joint coordinators who are already working in the space and, and, you know, just find out what the tips and tricks that we've all learned along the way. So they don't necessarily have to bump their heads on trees that uh, we've already figured out. Yeah, I, got it. I mean, some some really excellent advice there for for any ASDs looking to go down that path in in the in the near future. Um, but Dr. Tapper, I'd love to getting away from total joints and just the wider orthopedic field, healthcare field. Um, how do you see industry trends? What are you looking at? How, what do you see evolving in the next five years? Um, you know, what what's on the top of your radar? Yeah. So yes, yeah, from the medium to short term. Stuff. I think we, we've talked about that. What you're asking obviously is more long-term planning. What can we anticipate? You know, it's uh, it's how we deal with the challenge. I wouldn't call it a problem, but I call it a challenge of you know the constant, seemingly constant downward financial pressures that that all of us in healthcare are having to deal with, whether it be physicians or ASCs, having to fight tooth and nail for reimbursements, their contracts. Uh, we have some control over that with commercial payers, obviously not much control over that with the government and Medicare and uh, the Medicaid programs, but just making people realize the value of the services that we offer. That will truly dictate the success of the industry uh, moving forward. And the, uh, the, their idea is that, hey, we'll just keep ratcheting down reimbursements until you know we hit the, what we perceive as a floor um, they just look at it from you know a cost standpoint we're trying to look at it as a cost and an outcome standpoint but we have to be able to continue to advocate for the benefit that we offer our communities our patients our society as a whole in the ambulatory surgical space and that's what's going to ultimately continue to keep the ASC world healthy and strong is making sure that key thought leaders in Washington, D.C. or in local state governments are aware that this is an industry that, number one, is very beneficial to um, the health of, a, of the state, the physical health of the 
you know, people in the state, but also businesses within the state, because we are large businesses when you look at it uh, in, in the grand scheme of things. We are successful businesses that uh, should get support from local as well as federal government and not be undermined. You know, that's the overarching challenge as I see it uh, in the long term. Yeah, some excellent insight there. And Dr. Capper, I'd love to, lastly, before we kind of let you go, what advice do you have um, for other administrators out there looking to kind of build a great culture and sustain success? Get all parties engaged. Um, make sure you have a, a key leader from each group. So when we do our quarterly total joint program meeting, for instance, we have a nursing representative, we, uh, somebody who represents pre and post-op, we have the OR representative, we have the administration, we have anesthesia, we have everybody on board. So whether it's total joints or whether it's a governing board at, at an ASC, you have to have the, the different interests appropriately represented um, and, and make sure that people know that they are appreciated, um, especially a nursing staff. You know, nursing staff, especially in this world where re recruitment and more importantly retention of staff is difficult, the staff will stick around if they feel appreciated. It's not always just based on their paycheck, it's also based on how they're treated uh, by coworkers, by administration, by physicians and surgeons. And so I really try to foster a culture of respect um, and engagement and I think that's what that has worked very well in my office-based practice, uh, in my patient care world, but also works very well at the ASC and at the hospital for that matter. It's, it's just recognizing that everybody works hard, everybody contributes as they can. Uh, you wanna get them well-trained in the environment that they're working in and make sure that they wanna stay. Uh, that's really the, the success uh, in the big I think some really excellent leadership advice there to cap off our conversation today. And Dr. Kaffer, it's been a real pleasure speaking with you. Uh, thank you so much for joining the Becker's AFC podcast. I look forward to speaking to you again down the line. Thanks for your time, Alan. I hope everybody enjoyed, uh, enjoyed the, the information.